Welcome to Here's Teresa on Talk Zone with your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Teresa is here to inspire and educate you with heartwarming stories and informative conversations from a national and global perspective. Now, here's Teresa. Good morning, good morning, good day. To all my internationals listeners out there, this is Teresa E. Keeves, your host for Here's Teresa, broadcasting on the great talkzone.com international radio. And um, it's a beautiful day here. You know, the sun is shining, you know, and um, it's shining brightly. I love it when the sun shines. And um, and uh, and I'm, I'm happy that I know who I am, what I am, where I am and what it is I need to do for my goals today. And um, I'm praying for God's love and guidance in everything that I do. And um, and I surely hope that all, all of you listening to me are doing just great and that you and your families are safe and in great health. As I said before, the weather is good, you know, because now we're springtime, you know, in the States. And, and um, you know, we're going to have a great conversation with my guest, the world's best mental health therapist, Reginald C. Campbell. And, um, you know, I just want to say, listeners, you know, as you guys are out there, some of you are starting to travel on vacations and um, and, you know, you just want to get out, you know, and I and I understand that. But I'm just saying, you know, to still be very careful because we are not out of the woods yet. Regardless, masks and social distancing are still very much a requirement. Now, my husband and I and my family are still not going to be traveling not even driving to California or any state. And uh, we're not going to restaurants, movie theaters, or any other venues. However, if there, if that is something that, you know, you guys are, you know, venturing out to do, then, you know, that's your choice. And, you know, all I'm saying is that we are not out of the woods yet. And this, uh, you know, this pandemic, and it's very important to still implement the same safety measures as before. Even if you have been inoculated, you are, you know, it's, it's important to be safe. Okay. It just never seems to stop meaning, you know, it just never stops seem to be so much going on in our country, you know, in our world. But it's just off the chain here in the United States of America. Now, um, President Biden is making good on his commitment for rolling out the vaccines to all of those who want to get the shots. Um, the last time I reported just a dent uh, for getting the populist vaccinated had happened. But because the rollout, you know, has been, you know, successful, now it's being reported by the CDC data tractor um, on 4-21-2021 that 213 million were totally vaccinated. Unfortunately, the death count from this tractor was 564-813. By the way, this data tractor is updated, you know, every day by the CDC if any of you are interested in um, looking at the data that is contained in this report, um, it's um, uh, covid.cdc/gov/covid.data.tractor. Now I'm, I am sure that you know that the farmers are now working on a couple of items regarding the vaccination, which are children young at six months, and I, I just think that's really young. And um, to take the shot, and the Johnson and Johnson shots have, are now not being administered you know, because of all of the controversy about the blood clots and things like that. My um, guest and I are going to be talking a bit about that if we have the time to do so. So again, just be safe in all of your endeavors. 
Okay. I want to talk to you about the benefits of being strong-willed. Some of you out there are probably saying, what are you talking about, Teresa? Well, this is what I am saying. When I was a child, my mother used to tell me that I was a strong-willed child. Now, I will share with you that being a strong, uh, being a young child, I was wondering, you know, like, what does she mean I'm, I'm, I'm a strong-willed child? <laughs> you know, is that... Is that a good thing or, you know, what, you know, is it right or wrong? You know, was I, you know, um, being stubborn and, uh, you know, or what, you know. So in my analysis, I discovered that there is a difference between being stubborn, stubborn and strong will. So, um, uh, for example, there is a difference and. You know, according to, uh, you know, I do a lot of research and things like that, and I like to share it with you guys. You know, like Mother Opedia says that the difference between being stubborn and strong will um, is that being stubborn, which I always felt, I, I refer to stubborn. If any of you have listened to me, it's like water being poured onto a rock. Nothing seeps in. Uh, being stubborn is often a short-sighted, immature, and self-defeating behavior while being strong-willed generally deals with the need to be strong and succeed, not giving up on what you believe in. That definition suits me because one way, listeners, that I look at things to achieve is by being strategic in my thinking, you know, for the long haul. I'm not doing anything for, you know, well, some things I may do something for just now, but when I'm planning, you know, uh, success in my life is for, you know, the, the, the long haul. And, um, and I want to succeed. You know, not using quick, fast and in a hurry tactics. And yes, I did ask for an explanation from my mother. And this is what she said. She says that when you have a goal, you plan, you map it out with extra plans. Should that one not work for you? (laughs) She said, you know, you have a backup plan and then go um, and then go after it with all fours until you accomplish whatever it is you want. Not hurting anyone or anything as you are going along. I was intrigued. I then asked um, her, you know, was I being defiant or disrespectful? And she says, no, actually, you're very respectful. You're a very respectful child, but you expect others to respect you as well. And that, of course, you know, doesn't happen all the time. You know, she says you're kind, smart, and have a giving heart and gravitate to the best things in life. She says that, you know, I'm not going to just settle for anything or anyone. I want the best hip hip hooray for me. Well, to me, I felt I was bad in a thousand. Right. But sure. Being called strong willed as a child still was not, you know, resonating with me. Like I still was like, you know, exactly. I wasn't exactly, you know, confident in knowing exactly what that was. And and this was because I wanted to make sure that I was on the right path, you know, that God wanted me to be. And I was wanting to make sure that I was not being haphazard going forward in my life. So as I got older, I decided to look more into being strong-willed. And I will tell you that I was actually pleased that I was a strong-willed child and I'm a strong-willed adult. I bet some of you out there are the same or have a child who is strong-willed. You see, being strong-willed listeners is actually a really good thing because With being this way, you are not going to be swayed one way or another. You know, you're not easily led. So you are in control of your life. You think things through. So 
listeners, I found this to be very interesting. Okay. Um, During my research, I came across understanding a strong-willed or strong-headed person. um, And it was on a website called spiritualgeist.com. The writer of this website name is Marjorie. Okay. Now she says that strong-willed and strong-minded are both about your personality. She says the will is part of your mind and the mind processes your thoughts and emotions. She goes on to say being strong-willed is being in control of your feelings and emotions. And being strong-minded is to have strong belief in your ideas and thoughts, what you say or do. Now, this kind of person is sure of themselves and takes matters into their own hands. Such persons never fit any stereotypical roles. Sometimes they are hard to handle and you might not know how to approach and convince them. But it's not that they are rude or stubborn always, but it's their inbuilt sense of self-reliance, which makes them a strong-willed and confident personality. Now, she says, here are some of the peculiar traits that they have. She says, they don't need your help. (laughs) Okay. Um, They are thoughtful. Their minds are a constant whirlwind of information, emotions, and analysis. They question every rule, norm, and assumption. They are passionate about the things they love. They are fiercely loyal and faithful. You know, she says such people cares about the, you know, people they love and stick with them at any cost. They are not the ones who leave someone in times of difficulties or ups and downs. They will never try to hurt someone. And to them, the biggest betrayals in their lives are lying and cheating. They value their freedom and space. They actually like to do things on their own and doesn't like much interference. They are their own critics. Critics. They consistently push themselves, testing and making efforts to improve. Their silence will speak much louder than their words. A strong-willed person, she says, speaks his or her mind and defends their values. Such people want the best for themselves, for their loved ones, and for the better society. But, you know, of course, if you are a strong-willed in the wrong way, You all know that your life would end up being a mess. It goes without saying, right? Now, the author ends her writing by saying this. Sometimes headstrong people make history because they fight traditional values or outdated rules that need to be changed. Now, everyone has the capacity to be strong-headed. So, if you have this quality, then I think you should use it and it would take you, you know, a long way in your life. I, I totally agree. I love my life and my family listeners. I love being an advocate for others who want and need my help. I love laughter, but I am a no-nonsense person. I am very sincere. I'm very much a positive person who can sense stupidity and ill will in others. Now, there is a saying, listeners, that says, if you love life, you'll live longer. So you see, listeners, being strong-willed is great. It's a good thing to have. If what I talked about fits your bill, then for me, I say that you are cool and his game. It is a positive trait to have, you know, because it will work great for those who haven't and it and who haven't, and it will help you grow in life. So should you or your child be strong-willed and are a positive person, I say to embrace it. It certainly has worked for me 
in my younger years and it continues to work for me in my adult years. I appreciate you listening to my monologue and now I am ready to bring on my guest. He is a frequent guest on my show. He is my brother. His name is Reginald and he is a mental health therapist. Good morning, Reginald, and thank you for being on my show. Well, good morning and thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay, let's start right on, Reginald. Okay, let's talk a moment about the decision that was made in the Minnesota uh, <laughs> trial regarding Derek Chauvin, who was a defendant in the George George Floyd trial, and the jury swiftly came to a decision on all three counts against Derek Chauvin. Can you just, uh, I'd just like to briefly hear your opinion of, you know, what you think about the um, outcome. Well, I think the outcome was, appropriate. Um, I, I don't know how it could have been anything else. Um, mm-hmm. Was I confident that it was going to uh, go that way? No, I wasn't. Uh, because there's been too many times where um, in spite of, it has gone the opposite way. Uh, Rodney King and on and on down down the line. And, <clears> and <throat> situations like this, it's always the victim that's on trial. And they did the same thing with Mr. Floyd, talking about um, uh, his past substance use or things like that. So, so they tend to criminalize the person, attempt to criminalize the person, in spite of this man murdering him in broad daylight with the knee on his neck for nine minutes, just cold, mm-hmm. outright murder. So mm-hmm. um, it's something that should have happened. It's the appropriate uh, sense of it's the appropriate outcome, and I just hope the sentencing will be the same. Exactly. I echo uh, those um, uh, remarks, um, Reginald. But here's my thing: since the verdict of that trial came out, two more, you know, black individuals were murdered by the hands of police officers. So now I'm thinking, okay, you know, the thing about it, um, I I feel, Reginald, is that this type of resolution has been way too long to come to fruition. Because if you notice the look on Derek Chauvin's face when they were announcing his fate, the look in his eyes was like, what? I don't believe it because he has, you know... He has gotten away with this so much in his career as being a police officer. And then I'm sure that he's probably wondering why, you know, I'm a white man here in America. And why am I being held responsible for something that I know that was not wrong when I've gotten away with it so many times before? And my other fellow police officers in this country have done the same. I don't I'm not understanding that. So I'm very happy that the uh, that it came um, out the way that it did. And um, this is only going to be uh, a continued uh, fight um, um, with um, advocates that that stand for uh, uh, black Americans or any Americans. But we're talking about black Americans right now, our listeners that are seemingly like they don't care about their life, like their life is not important. And black lives are extremely important. You know, we're all God's children know that. All of our lives are important. So you guys, a lot of you are maybe saying you're all lives important. I have said that myself. But however, right now, the uptick is that, you know, it's, it seems to be OK that you just uh, shoot, a you know, a black person and uh, there's not going to be any um, 
you know, rectification of that, you're just going to get away with it. So my hope and my prayer in the echo of what my guest said is that I hope that, um, that this, you know, continues to move. I don't want to see this falter. I want to give a shout out to his uh, lawyer and his team. You know, it, it was great. Uh, Reverend Shopton, um, um, and, and, and their speech, um, that they did on the television. I was looking at that on MSNBC um, the other day, my husband and I, and, um, you know, it was, you know, it it was sad, but it was a, you know, a great victory for um, George Floyd and his family. And I, and I hope that the, that the law that is, um, you know, being presented on the books with the help of uh, vice president Kamala Harris, I want to see that come to fruition too. You're familiar with that law, right, Reginald? Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. So I hope that comes to fruition as well. Okay. Um, you know, Reginald, let's let's now go and start talking about the the vaccines for a bit here. You know, as I was looking at the data from the CDC uh, that I was talking about earlier, there is a problem with death and cases in the correctional facilities in this country. For example, California leads that number of cases and Texas leads uh, leads the number of cases and Texas leads the number of deaths. And yet Wyoming is really low reporting two cases, one death in one facility. And I would like to mention that Vermont, Maine and Puerto Rico um, are reporting zero deaths and their numbers, of course, are very low in comparison to other states. Now, for example, Reginald, in this report. It stated the following in part, incarcerated and detained persons are at increased risk for acquiring COVID-19. However, a little is known about their willingness to receive a COVID-19 vaccination. Now, during December to de- uh, September to December 2020, residents in three prisons and 13 jails in four states were surveyed regarding their willingness to receive a COVID-19 vaccination and the reasons for COVID-19 vaccination hesitancy or refusal. They wanted to know. So among um, over 5,000 participants and 2,294 said that they would receive a COVID-19 vaccination and um, 498 said they would hesitate to to receive it and 2,318 said they would refuse it. Okay. now willingness to receive a COVID-19 vaccination was lowest among black African-Americans, you know, 36.7 percent. Who participated? They're they're in the uh, category of 18 to 29 years of age. Common reasons reported for COVID-19 uh, va- uh, vaccine hesitancy were waiting for more information. That was 54.8 percent, and efficacy or safety concerns. Now, the most common reason for COVID-19 vaccination refusal was the trust of healthcare, correctional or government personal personnel or institutions. That was 20.1 percent, Reginald. Now, public health interventions to improve vaccine confidence and trust are needed to increase vaccine acceptance by incarcerated or detained persons. Now, you should know that the personnel that's in the uh, uh, you know jail systems and things like that, they have been offered the um, vaccine as well, and, and a lot of them have, have taken it. Now, my question is, you know, is this. What actually is being done about it? Is the vaccine going to be administered to the inmates as well as open for taking the shots? You know, like for the inmates, Reginald, who are open to taking to take the shots, are they going to give it to them or are they just going to do this as a blanket? Well, you know, these people don't want it, so we're just not going to do any. 
And um, have you heard anything about this uh, controversy, what's going on in the correctional facilities? Well, there needs to be, uh, I I have, and there needs to be more um, uh, education and communication regarding that uh, with the prison population. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a high risk. You know, people are are living in very close proximity of each other in the in mm-hmm. the prison system. So, mm-hmm. the obviously the the, the chance of uh, uh, spreading the the coronavirus is is very high. So, I think that there, there needs to be more uh, education of of the prison population of uh, of the vaccine. Uh, who can be administered and how it's going to be administered and the and 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 the facts of of just the vaccine it, itself. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so there needs to be more sensitivity and and more education, in my opinion, on on the vaccine uh, with the prison population. Hmm. I totally agree with that because you know the close proximity of that is just off the chain with all of these people, you know, in jail. So for those who I want to take it. I say, go ahead and administer to them. Don't don't hesitate. Okay, but now while we're still talking about the vaccine, Reginald, I want to talk about um, the uh, report from CBS News. Okay, this is dated um, four twenty two today, and this is about FDA and FDA inspectors. Okay find brown residue and other violations in plant making Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I just think this is probably all contributory to the story that we talked about a few moments ago. The Baltimore factory contracted to make Johnson and Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine was dirty, didn't follow proper manufacturing procedures and had poorly trained staff resulting in contamination of material that was going to be put in the shots U.S. regulators said Wednesday, this is what is on the report. Now, Reginald, it goes on to say the Food and Drug Administration released a statement and a 13-page report detailing findings from its recent inspection of the now-idle emerging bioscience factory. Now, agency inspectors said a batch of bulk drug substance for for Johnson & Johnson's single-shot vaccine was contaminated with material used to make COVID-19 vaccines from other emerging clients, such as AstraZeneca. Now, remember, AstraZeneca had been halted in this country, too, Reginald. That batch reportedly uh, enough to make about 15 million Johnson & Johnson vaccine doses had to be thrown out. Now, get this. Other problems cited in the inspection report were peeling paint, uh, black and brown residue on floors, and walls in the factory, inadequate cleaning, and employees not following procedures to prevent contamination. Nothing made in the factory for Johnson & Johnson has been distributed to FDA. Noted that nearly 8 million doses of Johnson & Johnson vaccine given in the U.S. came from Europe. Both Emergent and Johnson & Johnson said Wednesday that they are working to fix the problems as quickly as possible. Your thoughts so far, Reginald? Uh, gosh, it, uh, that's, that's a shame that um, uh, you know, protocol obviously isn't being followed for uh, cleanliness and, and how to, uh, you know, um, um, 
you know, the, during the production of, of, of the product, of the medication. Um, that, mm-hmm. That's just a shame. It makes, there's, there's no sense. I mean, it, that's crazy. That, that just blows my mind that these kind of conditions are in the factories with the importance of this medication that's going to be distributed to millions of, of people that these mm-hmm. kind of uh, things are happening. It, it, it's a shame, and, and there needs to be some consequences uh, uh, for the company, uh, you know, not just the employees, but the people at the top, because that's where it all began. So they exactly. shouldn't just get off themselves of, you know, looking at the, you know, production line people or whatever, you know, because, you know, they're they're should be held accountable as well, but right at the top as well. Oh, yeah. And it says that after quality pro- um, after quality problems surfaced last month, Johnson & Johnson took control of the factory. Now, the Biden administration is now working to move AstraZeneca manufacturing to another factory. Now, AstraZeneca mm-hmm. vaccine is not yet authorized in the U.S., Okay. Now, the Baltimore factory halted all production late last week at the request of the FDA. Okay, the agency hasn't given emergency approval to the factory, which is needed before any vaccine materials made there can be distributed. I just think, you know, like what in the world is going on? This is, um, as I said, this is this all plays into the. Um, I, I feel, because uh, there are reports, um, my listeners and Reginald, I'm sure you guys are aware of it, that, you know, that that a lot of people are not, you know, uh, going for the shots, although we are still doing like three million a day, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this plays into people, you know, like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what yeah. is the deal, you know, with this? You know, I now, you know, now I'm skeptical. You know, and a lot of people were waiting on the Johnson and Johnson shot because they didn't want to do the two shot deal, you know, with the other two uh, pharmacies, you know. So I, I, I just think that, um, you know, that this that this is very bad. You know, then it says that at the moment, use of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is on hold in the U.S. as government health officials investigate its possible connection to very rare blood clots. Their decision on whether to allow the vaccine to be given could come Friday. The factory inspection is unrelated to the ongoing investigation. Okay, this report is today, the 22nd. Today is Thursday, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you going to say you're going to have a resolution tomorrow? Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? There's there's been no research, no investigation, no, no anything. Done. Too fast, too fast so, and too in a hurry. People are already, you know, looking side eye because this this vaccine was created so swiftly. And now, you know, people are saying, OK, I'm going to get it because they're scared. They're scared for their life, their health, their families and things like that. And uh, although a, a huge amount of people have not had reactions, you know, there are people that have. And, you know, it's just like any other vaccine, you know, with with um. You know, when we came, you know, was coming up, you know, mom always said, you know, that once we got a vaccine, she knew that we would have, you know, maybe a, a you know, temperature that she would mm-hmm. have to deal with that night. And, you know, maybe you mm-hmm. would have some swelling from the shot. And along with my children, and I'm sure a lot of, you know, the listeners can attest to that, too. However, 
This is a whole different ball game. It's not, you know, it's not the same. These are these are vaccines that were not developed in less than a year. You know, um, measles, mumps and diphtheria and the polio. It was years in the in the making. So I, I hope that they, um, you know, they're saying that this blood clot is very rare, but apparently not. Um, but but um, because there, you know, there's a lot of concern about it. And um, I just I just I just hope that, you know, when they make this vaccine, that they didn't just stop making it, you know, and just distri- you know, just just, you know, distributing it out uh, and in versus not consistently looking at how they can improve it and make it better. You know, because if, if I feel that if a person wants uh, to, to take the shot, they should be able to take the shot and they should be and they should be, um, you know, not concerned about it. You know what I'm saying, Reginald? Yeah. Well, I know with the polio vaccine, um, they had to readjust some things because at the, uh, within the first year or so, there were um, uh, children getting sick and, and some children did, did pass away um, um, mm-hmm. because of it. But, you know, unfortunately, those, those things happened. But it was nothing to the effect of, and again, it wasn't something that was that was, you know, quickly developed and rushed through. There was a lot of uh, time and effort put in the development of of that vaccine that uh, John DeSalle uh, uh, came up with and started, and then uh, the manufacturers, you know, came on and and helped uh, uh, tweak it for for uh, lack of a better word. Um, and, you know, when they talk about, okay, blood clots, clots are rare. Yeah, but if you're the one with the blood clot, it's not rare. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, so it, it, you know, unfortunately, a lot of things uh, are looked on simply as, as monetary and, and, you know, carefulness and, and, the, and the positive results from the populace are put on second or third tier and not number one. That uh, you know, profit is 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 number one, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the unfortunate sad things and that's, of a lot and of that's, It is, it is. It's like all of them. You got like I don't know what four or five or more of the um of of the farmers, you know, jumped into this race, and um, I I just think that I I, I definitely feel that you know uh, billions of dollars is is what's at stake and what people. You know these these company uh, leadership. You know was after. It's terrible, but hopefully things will get better because we are all in this together. And uh, it's important that when you are doing things and you're creating things to go inside human bodies, you really need to be. You know, it's just like your food. Are you going to just eat anything? You know, so you just have to be very careful and not think about the, the money aspect of it. Okay. Now, let's talk about customer service, okay? Now, you and I talk about this, um, Reginald, quite a bit, you know, and my first question is, what the what is going on? Now, have you listeners noticed the lack of customer service from organizations that you do business with, for example? Okay. Should you have a question or concern, you know, about the efficacy of a product you purchased or, or maybe they, um, uh, if you're doing online pay, they they messed up, they took out too much or didn't take out enough or they took out double or whatever they did. Have you noticed how hard it is to get to a live person? You know, you start asking yourself, do they, do they still exist? 
you know, they, they want to throw these robots in front of you. And as I, as I said before, I have a master's in it. My husband, you know, is a guru in it. I, you know, you could never write enough code <laughs> for a robot to, to, to be able to deal with, with human um, mind. In other words, you will never be able to outdo what God has done. That's all I'm saying. So now the robot prompts you to go to the website, www.blahblahblah.com for frequently asked questions. Reginald, it's though your concern or concerns are deemed frequently asked. And in a lot of communications, when you do get a live person, they are untrained to help you with your need because they give a script to them. So, you know, and then they have an attitude on top of that. A lot of them do. Not all of you, all of you customer service reps. You know, I've run into some great ones, you know, uh, but uh, no, I do run into one that that's a bit of a pill. And so you're doing something wrong when, in fact, it is your concern you have about their corporate, their, you know, their corporation and their organization, you know, standards and what it is that they that they, you know, want to have taken care of. You understand what I'm saying, Reginald? Yeah, it's, it's, it's for, you know, to get a, a, a human voice. A live person is like, you know, are you kidding me? You know, the first thing they want to say, you can go online and do such and such. You know, no, I want to talk to a human person. Is that is that possible? Is that possible mm-hmm. for me to do that? And, mm-hmm. yeah, and customer service has been uh, the lack of good customer service has been has been lacking. Um and when 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 I run into a person uh, where I can get, <clears throat> excuse me, good customer service, it, it's mm-hmm. a surprise and a shock, mm-hmm. and, it, and it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It should be the norm, but unfortunately now it's not. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, you know, when they say that spiel, you know, you can always go to www.blah, you know, and I let them get it out. And I said, you know. I know you're working for this company to support yourself and your family, and you can't say what I'm going to say. But I, I'm going to say it. You know, you shouldn't say that because, see, the the whole scheme of things is to get rid of you. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. That's the company's whole scheme of things is to have robotic mm-hmm. technology, you know, which is not going to work. So, you know, AS, um, ASU... Um, um, I'm sorry, not not uh, ASU. This is um, on smallbusiness.cron.com. They mm-hmm. actually had a report that was written by K.A. Francis on how lack of customer service can impact a business. OK, mm-hmm. now it says good customer service keeps customers coming back. Bad customer service keeps customers away. Now, it is important that a business have effective and proactive customer service personnel and a good policy keeping customers happy and getting them to tell others about the great service they receive will propel a business forward. Whereas a company's lackluster customer service policy will damage the reputation of the company in several ways. Okay. Ultimately bad customer service can cause the closure of a business. It costs less to retain uh, current customers than it does to attract new ones. Duh, anyone who's, you know, majored in business, okay, good customer service keeps customers happy. It needs, if needs go unmet or the acknowledgement of a less than stellar product is lacking along with an attempt to satisfy customers, customers might buy from the business once but will not return. 
If a customer has to spend a constant portion of their operating budget attracting new customers, it can lead to a cash flow problem, which can be the death knell for a business. Okay. I don't understand what it is that that it is that that they you know they just don't understand. I you know I I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. You know. So So, yeah, what's so hard about that? And then he said in this report, you know, about considerations. Okay. When offering customer service, the offer must be genuine. Okay. Business representatives must remember that without customers, hello. The business would not exist, nor would their jobs. Double hello. Customer service staff must remain polite and conciliatory, even when faced with an angry or rude customer. The representative must acknowledge the customer's concerns and find a way to rectify the situation. When a business is looking for customer service representatives, it is in the customer's company's best interest to hire people who have compassion, thank you, and the ability to listen, double thank you, with adequate sales skills, triple thank you. The salesman with a great pitch but who lacks customer service skills would not produce over the long haul. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on what I've said Mm -hmm. so far? You know, you, you would think it would be common. Sense, uh, you know, to know, uh, to know these things, and that's I think part of the frustrating part with with me when I have to deal with someone, you know, a customer service person is like, it's like really, you know, like why why are you being rude? I'm the mm-hmm. customer. I'm just asking so I can rectify this situation, mm-hmm. and why are you being rude to me? I mean, I know this is maybe the the thing now since Trump was in that, you know, to be rude and mean and nasty, but yeah. I always tell people, be it not for me or people like me, you wouldn't have this job, Hello, you know, and so that needs to be, you know, people need to realize that. And it just takes so much more uh, effort to be less effort to be. A more effort to be mean and and grouchy than it does to be to be nice. So, but again, you know, this is that's the personality, the people that you see, that you Mm -hmm. that you deal with. That's the personality of that company. Exactly. These are the type of people that you're hiring. These are the type of people that are up in the echelon part of that company, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like Jeff Bezos, um, you know, with Amazon. And, you know, there's been a lot of um, controversy about how he treats his employees. Uh, we discussed that on my show uh, some time ago. And um, and and also, you know, uh, the people that are on Amazon and the things that, that they're selling. Like, for example, you know, when this um, 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 pandemic emerged and mm-hmm. let's say that you're looking for the uh, Lysol um, uh, disinfectant for your clothing. Normally in the store, I'm just saying a number now. Okay. Number normally in the store, you can get it for five 99. Um, there on, on Amazon, you know, it would be, it could be sold at, you know, upwards like $15 a bottle or some, some crazy, you know, number like that. How are Mm. you not going to know that this is happening 
with your company. And if you don't know it, then you're too big for your bridges, as it used to say, and you need to step down. Not only that, didn't you not hire individuals who is supposed to be overlooking that? And are you just so elated that you're, you know, that you got some insane number of wealth, you know, two, three, four hundred mm-hmm. billion dollars mm-hmm. that you could actually buy everybody in this country a home, you know, um, and you're, you're just so engraved in, in that that you don't care about your customers. You don't know what, what's going on, you know, with your, you know, what, what people are doing, because, you know, understandably, I'm not a an Amazon person. I'm just going to say that. But um, my husband does, you know, he he has that whatever that is on Amazon and um, that, that where you can order and blah, 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 blah. So but but anyhow, you know, during, you know, as I said, the onset of this COVID, it was ridiculous how much they were being people were being charged for toilet paper and, and other things mm-hmm. like that. I don't know yeah. if that's ever been yeah. I don't know if that's ever been addressed or not, Reginald. You know, I, I haven't heard anything about that. You know, yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh, that that was just that was just sick and ridiculous. I mean, really. It was. So, I mean, you know, you know, greed. I mean, come on, you know, has greed mm-hmm. ever been a good thing? You know, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous, you know. OK, now I want to talk about. um rebuilding the infrastructure in this country. So now actually I would like to go back to the Obama administration, you know, the eight years of their tenure, you know, they were wanting to get the Congress and the Senate, you know, together, you know, cause it was a definitely need and still is a definite need to rebuild outdated structure. You know, our sewage systems, our bridges, hello, that people drive and walk over daily you know, pedestrian walkways and buildings and et cetera. So this will not only bring beautification to the nation and, and strengthen up our, you know, our our infrastructure, but a need, you know, it, it'll make it safer and thousands of jobs for the American people. So, Reginald, what do you think the holdup is every time this is introduced? In my opinion, it's called stupidity. Mm-hmm. Because people, and, and and it's all political because you know people don't want to look at the benefits of it. Um, they don't want to uh, uh, put money in where things are going to are going to benefit the country, uh, and people are using are, are politicizing it. Um, they're using it in a in a political racist way as well. Um, I know when when uh, President Obama was in office, uh, you know, they were talking about um, a new rail system, you know, um, a monorail system and things like that. And uh, and I believe it was California and a couple other states where, you know, they were they were looking at that to to start and actually had citizens, people and mm-hmm. governors. Mm-hmm. Saying that, and and citizens, I remember reading this that you know we don't want your government money. Government governors turning down this to build these structures that will mm-hmm. that would provide you know thousands of jobs that will update the rail system. And mm-hmm. they're talking about we don't want your government money. 
And there were a few governors like Schwarzenegger, who I, you know, really have no love for, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who said, you know what, I'll take the money that they don't want. But uh-huh. it was all politicized. You know, we mm-hmm. don't want your government money. This is your money. This is, these are your taxpayers' money. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? We don't want your government money. So, uh, you know, to politicize it in that way, mm-hmm. and, and in the meantime, the people who need these jobs and, and who should want these jobs and the modernization of the rail system stays stagnant. Exactly. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. You know, um, in other states, like in Arizona, you know, they don't they're doing a whole wealth of, of building houses and things like this, but they they don't have the infrastructure to support all of this. So, you know, a lot of people, they say the last time it's been a bit ago that 180 uh, people were moving to Arizona a day or whatever. But here but but here's my thing. Okay, so the other uh, caveat to this, Reginald, is that, you know, building a, a, you know, other transportation that also saves on our ecology. The air that we're breathing sucks. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so if I truly believe that a lot of people would not have, you know, maybe a family would not have two cars or whatever, maybe, oh, no, I could, you know, take the bus you know, and get to my job, you know, I can, you know, I sh- get on the train or whatever, you know, and that that would probably be saving them something as well, you know, financially. But, you know, I I'm just, you know, but then yet you have the Republicans saying, you know, oh, they, you know, they're all for, you know, building wealth and they want their their constituents to be da 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 da. Yeah. But, you know, why do you do that? And then the constituents are, are saying they don't want it. it it's like so screwy Louie. I don't understand. I don't, because they I don't fall, get it. Because the citizens fall for the okie doke. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a perfect example of, of how people vote against their own interests. Interest. All day long, all day simply strong. I don't get it. Simply, well, race, here's what part of it is racism. Let's got to put it out well, there. That's, part of it well, is racism. Hello. Part of it, Hello. and that just. You know, another example of how ignorant and stupid and mean racism is. So people vote against their own interests. You know, another mm-hmm. way are people are so anti, anti-union, anti you know, like, yes. oh, my God, yeah. you know, you're voting, you're doing this against your own interests. Yeah, these companies and, you know, don't want you to unionize because then you have less power to do things to improve your lives and your situations, you know. Uh, yeah. So you vote against your own interests. We don't want unions or unions can't represent you to get, you know, they think these companies did all of this stuff out of the goodness of their heart. No, it's because of people fighting and unions and people organizing. And then not only that, you know, they can do whatever they want to you, no matter how unfair it is. And you have no recourse. Right. right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do whatever right. I want to you and you have no recourse. So there, you know, that that's what they want. You know, and um, I, I, I just I just think it's, it's really crazy, you know, uh, with, you know, with the infrastructure. I mean, because all of these cars on the road, you know, I know dealers are doing their things, their business and so forth and so on. But we have to think of the whole thing, you know, whole grand scheme of things. OK, and uh, they, they're wanting to push these electric vehicles. Give me a break with that. Where's the infrastructure for that? You know, you're not going to be, oh, let's go for, you know, let's go for a um, 
um, a road trip. You're not going for a road trip in an electric vehicle, traveling down some road, stretch of road that is 40 or 50, 60 miles before you get to another uh, gas station. You know, and then when you get to the, let's say you get to a gas station that has the accommodations for an electric vehicle, then it takes time to do it. All I'm saying mm-hmm. is that I'm I'm all I'm all in for helping the ecology. You know, electric vehicles or whatever. I'm cool in the game with it, but I just think that they put the cart before the horse. I feel mm-hmm. that they should have had mm-hmm. the infrastructure set in place first, and then do the do the car thing. You know. That 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 that's all that's all I'm saying. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk a bit about the importance of edification of myself. That's what I'm calling this, edification of myself. It's um Oh, bless you. Sneezing. Um I um I I always find it important and I tell people this that Edification of yourself is extremely important. I don't care if you find out that, oh, my God, they just closed up, you know, 10 miles of this road as they're going to be doing uh, reconstruction starting next week. You know, don't ever let a person ask you or your parents or whatever, you know, so how was your day? Did you what did you learn today? Nothing. I mean, that's that's really bad. You know, I did read one report. It's been a while ago. I did read one report a while ago and it stated mm-hmm. that, um, you know, when when an individual transitions, you know, and uh, they had done some studies on the brain and that only 10 percent of their brain was used. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. really, you have all of this mass up there in your head that is that is phenomenal and you don't use it because, you know, People, you know, that that that's a, a lot of things. You know, our, our educational system is not the, the best here. Um, a lot of people don't like to read, you know, so therefore that that diffuses your comprehension skills and things of that that matter. You know, but I find it very important to um, to educate myself. You know, um, whether it's, you know, I, I go and uh, to uh, uh, I'm listening to a seminar now that I'm in COVID, I'm listening to it. Or, you know, before that I went, I took up, took up another class. I'm refreshing a degree or I'm getting another degree. I mean, learning is is forever is forever, you know. Um, so, you know, what do you think about that, Reginald, the importance of edification of of myself? Uh, it's it's important because what we what we think about ourselves is what we put is what we put out there. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, so learning is is, is a constant. Um, you know, you you I learn things by accident. I, I was telling uh, in, in a session the other day. I was telling telling a a, a, a guy like you know, even if I learn that. Okay, I can take this road instead of this road. I, mm-hmm. I've learned something. I, I've mm-hmm. learned. Something. I've learned something about you. Now that I know this, I know this about you. Now that I've learned this about what happened twenty years ago or fifty years ago or you know whatever. So so learning should be should be constant. Um, I can mm-hmm. remember that's about ten years ago, ten or twelve years ago. I was talking to talking to a young man, a young, young black man. He was about six, 15, 14 years old. And he said, I don't like to read, Mr. Reggie. I've never read a book 
in my life. And I told him, don't ever mm. say that again. Don't ever, don't ever say that again, because you're saying that with pride. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's not good for you to say mm-hmm. that you've never read a book in your life. So don't ever exactly. tell anybody that. Exactly. I mean, come on. I mean, I, you know, and I know that there are people out there that that said just what you said. And I and because I love to read, you know, and you love to read or whatever, you know, you just can't comprehend like why a person don't like to read. I I just Mm -hmm. don't I just don't understand that. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. if you even if you have a half hour, you know, um, you know, of, of idle time. You know, mm-hmm. a, a good, relaxing, educational book is so fabulous. And just think if you put, you know, even 15 minutes to a half hour towards reading, next thing you know, you've completed mm-hmm. that book. You've learned mm-hmm. something. Hopefully, you you know, hopefully you've learned something, comprehended something. It was something in there that you can use throughout your life and maybe, you know, um, you know, help others with. But um, um you know, ed- edification of of um, myself is important, and I'll and I'll always I'll always be doing that. I want to mm-hmm. uh, talk about one more thing as we're you know I'm running down here. There was a a report, Reginald, back on the fifteenth of April, um, mm-hmm. and um, it was on USA Today uh, by a Savannah Berman, and um, at uh, April fifteenth. Um, and it says that um, the, the title of it is House Committee Approves Bill to Study Slavery Reparations for First Time. Now, mm-hmm. Washington um, legislation to create a commission to study slavery reparations for black Americans has cleared a House committee in a historic vote. You don't hear much about that. Making its way to the full House for the first time more than three decades after it was introduced. The legislation, which is H.R. 40, now faces a full House vote. Should it pass the House, the measure would go to the evenly divided Senate. The House Judiciary Committee voted committee voted 25 to 17 Wednesday. That was, you know, during the week of the 15th uh, to advance the bill. Now, the legislation would establish a 13 persons commission to study the lasting effects of slavery and racial discrimination throughout the country's history. Do they really need to do that? Um, the panel will submit its findings to Congress and recommend any remedies, really, including compensation to black Americans. OK, what do you think about that so far, Reginald? I, I think it's something that should be done. This, You know, this this legislation has been. Uh, has been pushed since the 1980s. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so this is nothing new. It has just been stalled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and basically, you know, it's, it's the effect of what um, um, not only slavery, but racial discrimination, Jim Crow, and the other things, how it's affected the lives of black people from slavery on, from Reconstruction on, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as reparations, you know, should should those should, should that happen? And so, uh-huh. I, I I'm I'm fine with it. I'm okay with it because, uh, you know, let's face it, it's still uh, Jim Crow uh, slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it still continues to affect the lives of black people. To, exactly. To, to this day, and and Exa- when people say all lives matter, you know, well. If all lives matter, then why why did we have Jim Crow? Why did women not have the right to vote? Why were Japanese citizens put on concentration camps when 
uh, during World War II. Um, you know, why were there signs that said uh, no, no Italians or Irish? We would rather accept Italians, Irish, and dogs. I mean, dogs rather than Italian and, and, and Irish. You know, mm-hmm. so, so don't give me this whole thing of all lives matter, because if all lives matter, then women would make the same amount of money as, as men right now. Well, so, so well, you know, the, that's, that's a little blanket statement to say all lives matter when, when it doesn't. Well, you know, I say that all lives matter, and it, it matters to me. I can't account for anyone else that, that says it. And other people who says that all lives matter, it doesn't matter to them. But for me, and you know me, all lives do matter. So I'm not talking about those people who are just beating their gums. I'm talking about the people who who sincerely say that all lives matter because they do. Now, the other piece of this, because um, I, I got like um, two minutes, the death of George Floyd, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and other black Americans, including the death of Dante Wright, this month have drawn attention to racial inequality in the public consciousness and renewed debate on how to remedy America's history of racism toward African-Americans, including reparations. Reparations are compositions for historical crimes and wrongdoings with the aim of remedying injustices and helping specific groups of people or populations of to prosper have mostly been experimented within international Settings by pace by passing HR 40, Congress can also start a movement toward the national reckoning. We need to bridge racial divides. Reparations are ultimately about respect and reconciliation and the hope that one day all Americans can walk together toward a more just future. Jackson Lee said, "Okay, that is the hope. And I'm going to have to end it with that because I have about one um, one more one and a half more minutes um, but um, there, I feel that there's no need to have go and have all of these studies spending a whole lot of the taxpayer money. You guys clearly know why racism exists. Give me a break with that. And you guys should also know that racism is not just about, um, um, you know, black people, African-Americans. It's all of them. I mean, look at how um, our Asian-American brothers and sisters are are being treated. I mean, so, you know, this is why we need to all come together and I and I just, you know, want to say um, 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 too that I appreciate, you know, all nationalities banding together and in support of this George Floyd, um, you know, um, uh, George Floyd's uh, death and uh, supporting the, you know, and praying for and fighting for the outcome. So this is what it's going to take all of us, black, brown, to get together. And we're going to have to make it happen. Okay, thank you for listening to me. This is Teresa E. Keeves. You guys go out and make it a fabulous night. Thank you, Reginald, for being on my show. I will talk with you guys next month. You be safe out there. Still do your due diligence. And I look forward to speaking with you in in another month. This is Teresa E. Keeves signing off. Make it a great day.